Questions to the Prime Minister. Dr Lisa Cameron. Question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Flight Lieutenant Alan Scott of 32 Squadron and Flight Lieutenant Geraint Roberts of 230 Squadron. Both of these men died along with three other coalition personnel when their Puma helicopter crashed on Sunday in Kabul, Afghanistan. They have given their lives serving our country and making our world more secure, and our deepest sympathies are with their families and their friends at this very difficult time. Mr Speaker, I also wish to pay tribute to Police Constable David Phillips, who was killed in the line of duty last week. His death is a stark reminder of the very real dangers our police officers face on a daily basis, and my thoughts, and I know the thoughts of the whole House, are with his family and his friends during these tragic circumstances. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Lisa Cameron. The British Medical Association raised concerns with what they call the chronic undermining of defence medical services. We cannot have sufficient medical and mental health provision for armed forces (coughs) without properly resourced services. Will the Prime Minister address this issue urgently, prioritise the treatment of our armed forces and lend support to my adjournment debate this evening, highlighting these concerns? Well, well, let me congratulate the Honourable Lady for securing the adjournment debate and raising this very important issue. Uh, Our Defence Medical Services do an absolutely outstanding job. I was just speaking about Afghanistan, and I've seen in Afghanistan, year after year, just what an amazing service they have provided. At times, it was almost the equivalent of a district general hospital accident and emergency on the back of a Chinook uh, helicopter. It is extraordinary. There's an opportunity for us to look at this whole area in our strategic defence and security review, when, of course, we'll be approaching that review with a rising defence budget during this Parliament. Cole McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. Today we have seen the claimant count in Lincoln fall by 20% on last year's... ..with a 44% drop of those claiming since 2010. Does my right honourable friend believe that this is down to having local job fairs, a clear long-term economic plan to secure our national recovery and that it would be put in jeopardy by the shambles that is the party led by the honourable member opposite. First of all, let me uh, congratulate businesses in Lincoln for their record in providing people with jobs. The unemployment figures out today, I think, are extremely good. We see 140,000 more people in work. We see the employment rate at its record level since records began. Unemployment's come down. Vacancies have gone up. Youth unemployment and long-term unemployment have both come down. All of this, yes, the job fairs are important, the apprenticeships are important, but above all what matters is having a long-term economic plan that's about a strong and secure economy and getting the deficit down and running a surplus. That is what we should be focused on, but I'm sure that the Honourable Gentleman will welcome today's fall in unemployment. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Firstly, I'd like to echo the Prime Minister's tributes to the two RAF airmen killed in Afghanistan, Flight Lieutenant Geraint Roberts and Alan Scott, and also sadness at the death of David Phillips in the line of duty, as many police officers do face danger. I absolutely concur with his remarks about that. 
I'm sure he and the whole House would also join me in expressing sympathies and sadness at the more than 100 people that died of a bomb blast in Ankara last Sunday, attending a peace rally of all things, and our sympathies must go to all of them. Uh, I want to ask the Prime Minister a question about tax credits. I've had 2,000 people email me in the last three days offering, them a quest offering a question to the Prime Minister on tax credits. I'll, give, I'll choose just one. Kelly writes, I'm a single mum to a disabled child. I work 40.5 hours each week in a job that I train for. I get paid £7.20 per hour. So in April, the Prime Minister is not putting up my wage up but he'll be taking tax credits off me. So my question is, can the Prime Minister tell us how much worse off Kelly will be next year? Well, well first of all, let me welcome what the Honourable Gentleman has said and join him in what he said about the terrible uh, bomb that took place in Ankara, where over 100 people were killed. And our thoughts should be uh, with those families of those that, that, that suffered, and also with that country as it struggles against this terrorism. Let me answer very directly on, on the issue of tax credits. What we're doing is bringing in the national living wage, which will be a £20 a week pay rise for people next year. Obviously, Kelly will benefit as that, as that national living wage rises to £9. Hold on. Uh, I, I, hold on. What, what, sorry, what happened to the new approach? I thought we were... Questions asked so that they could be responded to. Right, so there's the introduction of the national living wage, which will reach £9 by the end of the Parliament, which will benefit Kelly. Also, in April next year, we raise to £11,000 the amount of money that you can earn before you start paying taxes. And also, Kelly, if she has children, will be benefiting from the 30 hours of childcare that we're bringing in. In addition to that, there's also the point that if Kelly, and I don't know all her circumstances, but if she is a council house or housing association tenant, we're cutting her rents. All those things are important, as is the increase in employment and the increase in wages taking place today. I thank the Prime Minister for that. Uh, can I tell him, in case he's not aware of it, that she's going to be £1,800 a year worse off next April? And that there are another three million families in this country who will also be worse off next April. And that after housing costs, 500,000 more children are now in poverty compared with five years ago in 2010. And on top of that, his new tax credit policy will put another 200,000 children into poverty. Isn't the truth of the matter? that this government is taking away the opportunities and limiting the life chances of hundreds of thousands of children from poorer or middle-income families yep. in this society. And should he not be aware of that in the decisions he makes? Yeah. Well, the, the fact is that since I became Prime Minister, there are 480,000 fewer children in households where nobody works. There are two million more people in work. There are almost a million more women in work. There are a quarter of a million more young people in work. The best route out of poverty is to help people get a job. And that's why, even though the unemployment figures came out today and we see 140,000 more people in work, he still hasn't welcomed the fall in unemployment that took place today. 
But the point he needs to focus on is this, is that all these people benefit from a growing economy where wages are rising, where, where inflation is falling, and where we're getting rid of our deficit to create economic stability. And it's that stability that we'll be voting on in the lobbies tonight. The Prime Minister is doing his best, and I admire that, but um, could, he not, could he not tell us something else? That the reality is people in work often do rely on tax credits to make ends meet. His party and himself have put forward a budget which um, cuts tax credits, gives tax breaks to the very wealthiest in our society. So inequality is getting worse, not better. Should he not think for a moment about the choices that he's making and the reality it is for the very poorest people in our society? Well, the, the Honourable Gentleman talks about the reform of tax credits, and let me tell him why it is necessary. Between 1998 and 2010, the bill for tax credits went from £6 billion to £30 billion, and yet at the same time, in-work poverty went up by 20%. The system of taking money away from people and giving it back to them in tax credits wasn't working. We say it's better to let people earn more and then take less from them in taxes. And what we have in this country is two million more people in work. Now, the figures he quotes for inequality are simply wrong. There are 800,000 fewer people in relative poverty than 2010. There are 300,000 fewer children in relative poverty in 2010. And if he wants to know why, it's because we took difficult decisions to get our deficit down, get our economy growing, and deliver the strongest growth anywhere in the Western world. Now, tonight, the Labour Party has a choice. A week ago, they were committed to getting the deficit down and running a surplus just like us. But for some reason, I know not why, they've decided to do a 180-degree turn and vote for more borrowing forever. Is that now the position of the Labour Party? Corbyn! The reality is that three million low- and middle-income families are going to be worse off as a result of the tax credit changes. And if the Prime Minister wants to change his mind on tax credits, he's very welcome to do that. There will be an opportunity next week when there's going to be an Opposition Day debate on this very subject. And I'm sure the Prime Minister will want to take part in that debate and explain why it's such a good idea to make so many people so much worse off. I'd also like to tell him I've had 3,500 questions on housing in the last few days. And I just want to say this. A question from Matthew. This might be funny to some members, but it's not, it's not funny to Matthew or many others. Matthew says, I live in a private rented house in London with three other people. Despite earning a salary well over the median wage, Buying even the cheapest of properties is well beyond my reach for years to come. Does the Prime Minister think it's fair, that he, uh, and does he really believe that £450,000 is actually an affordable price for a new home for somebody on an average income to try and aspire to? 
First of all, the honourable gentleman is absolutely right to raise the issue of housing, particularly the affordability of housing in London. And what I would say to Matthew is that we are doing everything we can to get councils to build more houses, particularly affordable houses that he can buy. Now, the honourable gentleman quotes the figure of £450,000 because what we're saying is that should be the upper limit for a starter home in London. We want to see starter homes in London built at £150,000 at £200,000 so that people like Matthew can stop renting and start buying. Now, what have we done for people like Matthew? Well, obviously, we've increased, we've introduced, we've introduced help to buy. So, for the first time, we're actually helping to get people their deposit together so they can buy a new home. We're also giving people like Matthew the right to buy the Housing Association home. And we've now got, well, that's interesting. We hear groans from the Labour Party, but of course the entire Housing Association movement is now backing our plan and saying people should be able to buy their home. So I would say to the honourable gentleman, let us work together and get London building to get prices down so people like Matthew can afford to buy a home of their own. Could I bring the Prime Minister back to reality? The last five years, the last five years have seen a low level of house building, less than half the new buildings that are actually needed. It's seen rapidly rising rents, rising homelessness, therefore also a higher housing benefit bill, and even the CBI, his friends at the CBI, say we need to be building at least 240,000 homes per year. Will he now address the problem that local authorities face in accessing funds in order to undertake the necessary and essential building of council housing, rather than what appears to be a growing obsession in the government to selling off publicly owned properties, rather than building homes for people that desperately need them, so that children can grow up in a safe, secure environment, which is what we all want for all of our children. Well, well, let me deal with all his points in turn. Of course, first of all, now that the Housing Association movement is backing the right to buy, that will mean up to a million extra homeowners with that money going back into building more homes. That's the first point. The second point on council housing. In the last five years, when I was Prime Minister, we built more council homes than the last Labour government built in 13 years. But the most important... The most important point, that's a bit of reality for the honourable gentleman, he might want to digest. But the most important point is this if we want to build homes, we need a strong and stable economy. We're not going to have a strong and stable economy if we adopt the new Labour position, which is borrowing money forever. So I would urge members opposite who believe in a strong economy, paying down our deficit, making sure we deliver for working people, to join us in the lobbies tonight. It would be very nice if the Prime Minister actually answered the question I asked. Which order? Order. These proceedings should be conducted in a seemly way, and chuntering from a sedentary position from either front bench is not helpful. Remain calm. Be as good as you can be. Jeremy Corbyn. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm totally calm, I assure you, and I don't intend to engage in any chuntering. I just put the question to the Prime Minister that I actually put to him was, what is he doing to allow local authorities to build the homes that are necessary for people who have no opportunity to buy and can't afford to remain in the private rented sector? I realise this might be complicated. I'd be very happy if he wrote to me about it, and we can then <laughs> share the letter with others. But I want to turn his my last question to one other subject. I realise he may not be able to give me the full answer today, and he may wish to write to me about it. I'm sure. I'm sure he's aware that yesterday was Secondary Breast Cancer Awareness Day. In Brighton last month, I met two women, Frances and Emma, who are suffering from terminal breast cancer. And uh, apparently the Prime Minister met their organisation in 2010, and they raised with him a very serious problem of the collection of data in all hospitals across this country about the instance of secondary breast cancer, the treatment of it, and the success or otherwise rates of the treatment that goes on. Apparently, this information is not being as collected as efficiently as it might be. It is not being centralised sufficiently, as I understand it. And I'd be grateful if the Prime Minister could follow up on the promise he made to these women in 2010 that this data is going to be collected, is going to be centralised, so that we can ensure that every woman who's going through the trauma of not just breast cancer but secondary breast cancer, knowing that it's terminal, but knowing there may be some treatment that can alleviate the pain and possibly extend their lives. Will he undertake to do that and reply to me as soon as possible? No, I think the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right to raise this, and indeed I met with the very campaign, as I think he met with at his conference, I met them at my conference and had a good discussion with them, because we all know people who've had the tragedy of having breast cancer, and one can only imagine uh, what it must be like to recover and survive breast cancer in a primary sense, but then to find out you have a secondary cancer, often a secondary cancer that's completely incurable. What the campaigners are asking for is better information, not least because they want to make sure we're spreading the best practice in every hospital uh, so that we really do treat people as quickly as we possibly can. So I had a conversation with them. I relayed that to the health secretary. I'm very happy to write to him about it. But making sure people get the right diagnosis, they get it quickly and then we use the information to tackle secondary breast cancer is absolutely essential for our country. Malthouse. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister recently spoke movingly and shockingly about the life of despair that still lies ahead for too many of our looked-after children. Notwithstanding the vital work that's been done in recent years, I wonder if he could expand for us on the reforms he proposes for these our most vulnerable of citizens. Well, I'm very grateful to, to my honourable friend who knows a lot about this from his work in, in, in London um, when he worked for the mayor. And there are two areas we need to look at most of all. One is to speed up adoption processes. We should be reducing the number of children in care by making sure that they can find uh, loving family homes. And we made some progress, but frankly we've had setbacks, not least because of some of the judgments made in our courts, and we need to get that level of adoption back up again. The second thing is to use some of the knowledge we had in our education reforms and bring it to reforming social services, so to get the best graduates going into social work, and frankly, those social services that are failing need to be taken over far more quickly. Robertson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. We on these benches associate ourselves with the condolences expressed by the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition. Uh, the UK has been involved in three major military interventions in recent years, and in all cases there have been very severe unintended consequences. The Taliban sadly control much of Afghanistan again. 
In Iraq, the fanatics of Daesh terrorise about half of the country. In Libya, there has been total anarchy and chaos. What assurances can the Prime Minister give that he's learnt the lessons from past mistakes and he will not repeat them? Well, I think the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point. I make two points to him. One is, of course, intervention has consequences, but frankly, non-intervention can have consequences too, as we see from the vast numbers of Syrians fleeing the appalling situation in that country, not least the barrel bomb chemical weapons attacks by Bashir Assad. So it is worth making that point. In terms of the lessons learnt, I can't wait for the Iraq inquiry to come out so further lessons can be learnt, but we've already learnt a number of lessons, for instance, setting up the National Security Security Council, which is working well, making sure we act on the basis of clear legal advice and the Attorney-General attends all the important uh, meetings, and working with allies and local partners. So while it's frustrating what is happening in both Iraq and Syria, one of the lessons is to work with local partners. In Iraq, it is Iraqi troops that are the boots on the ground, and that's why we should give them all the support that they need in the, in the war they're fighting against ISIL. More than 450 UK service personnel have died in Afghanistan, but sadly the Taliban are back. The UK spent 13 times more bombing Libya than in rebuilding the country, and there has been anarchy. The US has just dropped a $500 million programme to support the Syrian opposition. Russia is bombing Syria, and the UK has no plan to help refugees from Syria who are now in... The UK has no plan to help Syrian refugees who have made it. I think the Honourable Gentleman is reaching the conclusion of his question, but he must be allowed to do so. Mr Angus Robertson. It's a shame that members on the government side do not acknowledge that the UK has no policy to help Syrian refugees who have made it to Europe. There is no surprise that there is growing scepticism about the drumbeat towards war. Will the Prime Minister give an assurance that he has learned the lessons of Iraq, of Afghanistan and Libya and he will never repeat them? I'd say a couple of things to the Honourable Gentleman. I can't remember a question with so many errors in uh, being asked. The idea that Britain isn't helping Syrian refugees when we are the second largest bilateral donor to Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Turkey, and that's because we're spending 0.7% of our, our gross national income on aid. We've done more than almost any other country in the world to help Syrian refugees. But frankly, I don't recognise the picture he paints of Afghanistan. The fact is we have supported an Afghan national army and police force and an Afghan government that are in control of that country. But the final point I'd make to him is he's all very well standing on his high horse and lecturing about the past. Would he be happier? with an Afghanistan that had a Taliban regime and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan? Would he be happier with Gaddafi running Libya? Would he be happier with that situation? So, as I said, the consequences of non-intervention are also worth considering. Nigel Huddleston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My Midlands constituency is already benefiting from infrastructure investment 
such as the significant improvements of the M5 motorway. Does the Prime Minister agree that the recently announced and independent National Infrastructure Commission will play a key role in improving and securing our nation's long-term economic prospects? I'm delighted we're establishing the National Infrastructure Commission. I hope it can put um, uh, some of these questions about infrastructure beyond party politics. I think that would be a thoroughly good thing. And I'm delighted that Lord Adonis, who made a great contribution uh, in government, will be someone who's running it. And I know that the honourable gentleman, my honourable friend and I, will, will want to make sure that the Cotswold line is looked at very carefully by the Infrastructure Commission as it uh, does its work. Someone's shouting out Labour policy. Well, where we find a good Labour policy, we implement it. Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, do you know what we're doing? Do you know what we're doing tonight? We're implementing what was a week ago a Labour policy. Yeah. Okay. Hold on a second. Prime Minister had finished his answer, for which, for which we're extremely grateful, but progress has been very slow and I want to get backbenchers in, and I will do so. Callum McKay. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Scottish Government has estimated that the apprenticeship levy introduced uh, by the Chancellor in the July budget will raise £391 million from Scotland, with £146 million of that coming from the public sector. Uh, as yet, there has been no confirmation that a single penny of that uh, will come to Scotland to fund our distinct modern apprenticeship programme. Will the Prime Minister confirm today that Scotland will uh, receive our fair share of this funding, or are we seeing another pig in a poke from this supposed One Nation government? No, well, what I'd say to the honourable gentleman is we haven't yet set the rate of the apprenticeship levy or indeed set uh, what level of business size has to be before it starts paying it. But the guarantee I can give him is that Scotland will be treated fairly and will get its full and fair share of any uh, apprenticeship levy. But as ever with the SNP, they invent a grievance before it even exists. Mr Speaker, work has started on site at the Rusden Lakes development at Skew Bridge, which will bring 1,900 new jobs, new shops such as Marks and Spencers and new leisure facilities to East Northamptonshire. <coughs> Does the Prime Minister agree with me that you simply don't get £50 million investments without economic confidence, and would he like to join us at the opening in due course? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd be, uh, I've already made a visit to my honourable friend's constituency to see one of his excellent academy schools, but I look forward to uh, coming back this day. It does look like a very exciting development. And I, I make the point that, yes, of course you need the strong and stable economy to make sure we get this uh, investment and housing going. We also need councils to complete their local plans and put them in place, because in that way we can deliver extra housing. Holly Lynch. During the general election campaign, the Prime Minister came to my constituency and promised to keep Calderdale Royals' A&E department open and sort out the financial mess that our hospital is in. Since then, the government has backtracked on both promises, saying that these are matters for the local NHS Trust and for the CCG. 
Will the Prime Minister show that he is a man of his word by meeting with me to discuss ways in which he can honour his election promises? We certainly haven't backtracked on what we promised. What we said, we would put more money into the NHS. We talked then about £8 billion. We're actually delivering £10 billion more. And we believe that these decisions should be made locally. And the Calderdale Hospital is an absolute vital service. Tory Apprentice. into a garden town which welcomes sustainable growth. Would my right honourable friend, who knows our area well, agree that the promised funding for infrastructure must be provided in step with development? Well, first of all, let me welcome my honourable friend to uh, the House, and she replaces a very good uh, friend, my my former neighbour, Tony Baldry, who worked so hard for the people of Banbury and Bicester. And when people say that in the south of England there aren't councils that want to build houses and new developments, they should look at Bicester, and you can see thousands of houses and new schools and new infrastructure being put in place. Of course, investment and infrastructure has to go together, but I think Bicester shows that we can build, build sensitively, and provide the homes that young people want to live in. Mr. Kevin Brennan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister help clear something up for the House and the country? And it concerns the recent biography of him by Isabel Oakeshott. In it, in it, Lord Ashcroft says that he told the Prime Minister in 2009 about his non-dom tax status, and yet in 2010 the Prime Minister said he didn't know the detail of Lord Ashcroft's tax status. Clearly someone's telling porkies. Is it him or Lord Ashcroft? I think what, what I'd say to the honourable gentleman is I would think of many better uses of his time than reading that book. Um, I, I, I managed to procure a free copy, and in order not to give anyone royalties, I'll gladly lend him a copy if, uh, if that's what he'd like. I think he'll remember that in this House, Labour and Conservative agreed to legislate so that non-DOMs could not sit in either House. Legislation I fully supported, indeed suggested at the time. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm I'm delighted to tell the House that in Burton we've set a new record. Unemployment is at its lowest since records began. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that a return to the bad old days of more borrowing, more spending and higher taxes would not only risk those important jobs, it would be a complete and utter shambles? I think my honourable friend makes an important point because we do see two million more jobs, a million extra, almost extra uh, women in work in our country, youth unemployment down, long-term unemployment down. That is because British businesses are taking people on, but they're doing it in the context of a strong and stable economy. Now, tonight we're going to be voting on whether, after eight or nine years of strong economic growth, we should be having a surplus rather than a deficit. And I would say, if you don't believe in having a surplus, then when will you fix the roof when the sun is shining? So I'd say to the Labour Party, those of you who believe in strong and stable government, strong and stable economy, come and join us in the lobbies this evening. Tim Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Whatever happened to the government's proposals for a highly skilled economy, when you look at further education in Coventry, for example, where there's going to be 24% cuts in the skills budget, 
the maintenance grant has been abolished, and now the government's even talking about the disablement grant for student being abolished. What's the Prime Minister going to do about that? Well, what I'm going to do is deliver on the promise of two million apprentices in the last Parliament, three million apprentices in this Parliament. What you can see from the changes that we made in terms of skills and higher education is a record number of students going to our universities and a record number from low-income backgrounds going to our universities. We're going to build on that record in this Parliament as we uncap student numbers and encourage people to study and make the most of their talents. Yeah. Cheryl Gillan. Yeah. Yeah. My right honourable friend will remember meeting my amazing ten-year-old constituent, Archie Hill, in January, who has a devastating condition, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Archie has campaigned tirelessly to get access through the NHS to a new drug translana that would help him and about 50 other children with Duchenne. In Scotland recently, the drug has been prescribed. With nice due to make the decision on Friday, can my right honourable friend assure me that in England these children will receive this drug and Archie's fantastic campaigning has not been in vain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I well remember me- meeting Archie and his incredible spirit and the way in which he's campaigning. And as my right honourable friend says, a decision will be made by NICE on Friday. But what we need to do, as well as make sure these decisions are made by clinicians rather than politicians, is also talk to the drug companies about trying to get the cost of some of these drugs down. This specific drug actually can cost, and others like it, can cost over £400,000 per patient per year. And that is what the Cancer Drugs Fund, for instance, has been helping to do, is try to reduce the cost that these companies charge. And we need that in other areas too. That's me. For many years, pensioners and disabled people in Fleetwood have enjoyed free access to the local tram service, which connects the town to Blackpool. Their free travel has now been withdrawn due to funding cuts. Will the Prime Minister consider extending the National Concessionary Travel Scheme to include not just buses, but trams, which are often easier for older people and disabled travellers to use? I look carefully at the point the Honourable Lady raises because we're very proud of the fact that we have kept all of our promises to pensioners, not least the triple lock promise, which with such low inflation, the figures out yesterday, less than 0%, the, the triple lock is going to be absolutely vital in giving our pensioners a better standard of living. So I'll look carefully at what she says, but I suspect it is a council decision by Lancashire County Council rather than a decision for me. Lucy Allen. Speaker, the brutal murder of Telford teenager Georgia Williams led to a serious case review which was published today. The review makes clear that there was a catalogue of failings by numerous agencies, including social services, schools and probation service. We can see from the report that Georgia's horrific death need not have happened. Will the Prime Minister join me in offering heartfelt condolences to Lynette and Steve Williams, Georgia's parents, and also in asking all those agencies involved to ensure that they learn from this tragic case? I I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this, and let me send my condolences to the Williams family for the appalling loss and the tragedy that they have suffered. Um, There is going to be uh, this report, as she said, and I think what matters now is the police and the other agencies really study this report and learn the lessons so these mistakes aren't made again in future. Liz McInnes. At the moment, trade union members in Hayward and Middleton, and indeed across the country, including school cooks, shop workers and carers, 
cannot cast their vote in a trade union election, either at their place of work or electronically. If the trade union bill is passed, can the Prime Minister tell me, will they be able to do so? Well, I think, first of all, what matters is that we have proper ballots where we don't have strikes unless there's a proper percentage of people supporting them. And I notice that Len McCluskey is now supporting our position. Um, the problem with the issue of electronic voting, which actually the Speaker's Commission looked into, is that it isn't yet clear you can guarantee a very safe and secure ballot. And frankly, I don't think... It is too much to ask people who are about to go potentially go on strike to fill out a ballot paper. Maggie through. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Recently, I received a letter from Transport for London informing me that in the last year they spent over £1.4 million with suppliers in Erewash, including Progress Rail, which is fantastic news for our local economy. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that by investing in Britain's infrastructure, this government has re-energised manufacturing and engineering, safeguarding our economic security? I think the honourable lady makes an important point, which is big infrastructure decisions, wherever they're made, actually can benefit every part of the country in terms of jobs and manufacturing. Obviously, in the last five years, London has seen this huge investment because of Crossrail, the biggest infrastructure project anywhere in Europe. But I think we'll see, frankly, a better balance in the coming years, not least with the massive electrification and other programmes going on around the country. So it's vitally important, but you can't have infrastructure investment without a secure and strong economy, which we'll be delivering. At least Marion Fellow. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Recently, I've been contacted by a number of constituents who are facing real hardship as a consequence of the current payment of child support. It's not compulsory for parents to declare any changes that may impact on the amount they should pay. If it's found that a parent didn't make their altered financial circumstances known, there are no penalties and no requirement to make backdated payments. What action will the Prime Minister take to close these loopholes, which have a very detrimental effect on vulnerable families in Mother and Wisha and beyond? Questions and answers really do in future weeks need to be somewhat briefer. We're making much slower progress than in the last Parliament. Much slower. The Prime Minister. Well, the Honourable Lady raises something which we've all seen in our constituency surgeries of problems uh, with this system. We know from the old child support agency system that that had many imperfections as well. We've tried to introduce more voluntary arrangements to encourage parents to seek uh, um, uh, ways of actually making sure that fair payments are made. But I'll look very closely at the question she asks, and perhaps I can write to her about it. Thank you. Order.